Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1-3 through 3, New International Version Then Nathan said to David, You are the man who stole the poor man's lamb. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed Uriah with the sword of the Ammonites. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7-9, through 9, New International Version A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Psalm 51, verses 1-3, through 3, King James Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today we want to wrap up the discussion that we've been having about the biblical story of David and Goliath. R.D., what's on tap as we prepare to end this series of episodes and transition to another topic on Anchored by Truth? Well, today I want to talk about how the historicity and unity of Scripture are a very important part of the Bible helping us with our daily lives today. David's life went well beyond just his battle with Goliath, and the record of his life in the Bible extends basically all the way through David's entire life. And I think his life, even the parts of his life that go beyond the battle with Goliath, provide us with an excellent example of how faith and facts can intersect to help us conquer our own giants. Hmm. Facts and faith. Two things that should be important to us all. Well, for our final episode on David and Goliath, here's a humor piece about how even small differences in understanding 
can make a big difference in how we perceive things. Here's R.D. and Jerry trying to cope with a clogged train and the Tub Brothers. R.D.? R.D., where are you? It's time to start recording. Oh, sorry, J-Man. I was just on the way when the plumbers arrived. Plumbers? Huh. Oh, and my name's still Jerry. Sure, Steel Jerry. Got it. No, no. no. Anyway, when I found out the names of the Tub Brothers here, I thought they would make a great addition to the show today. Meet, go, light, and bath. The Tub Brothers. Isn't that amazing that they have the same names as the guy that David fought? Go, light, and bath? Wait, no. David fought Goliath, not go light bath. Well, let's ask him. Hey, fellows, can you help steal Jerry out here? Not sure. He seems confused. Our names are light, go, bath. Not go light, ath. <laughs> light, go bath? Wait, David didn't fight light, go bath. Or go light bath, for that matter. He fought Goliath. 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 We don't have a brother named Ath. Right, Bath? Right. I'm Bath. Not Ath. Bath Tub. Ath Tub doesn't make any sense. Right? I mean, come on. Right, I know. Right. I mean, for real. Oh, I think Steel Jerry is confused by where you're standing. Why don't you two switch positions? My name's not Steel Jerry, just Jerry. And I wasn't confused by where they were standing. I'm saying David fought Goliath, not, well, someone named like the Tub Brothers here. I mean, sure, their names are similar. Goliath Bath. No, no, it's Light Bath Go. I thought you wanted Bath and Go to switch. <sighs> it didn't matter to me. I like your names. They make sense to me. How did your mother choose them? Our oldest brother is named David. When Mom found out that she was having us triplets, she started thinking about the other guy. Go, light, bath. But that's what I'm saying. David didn't fight go, light, bath. He fought... Well, right now, it's light, bath, go. Should we switch again? This fella seems easily confused. Oh, sorry, go. Didn't mean to clip your wrench. I know you're careful with your wrench. It is a nice wrench. Okay, there we go. Uh, just steal Jerry. Go light bath. Does that help you unclog your drain? My drain's not clogged, and my name's not... Then why not did you call us? Duh, I mean, I mean, come on. Sorry, fellas. Just steal Jerry sometimes has problems if he's not careful about his, uh, fiber routine. Oh, no worries. We get that. Go here sometimes, can't well, you know, stuck like Chuck. No, no, I'm fine. Everything here is fine, except the drain in the bathroom. Bath, you got a room here? Not me. Maybe he's confusing me with that ass fella. He seems kind of hung up on it. Oh, I give up. R.D., what exactly is it you wanted to do with our guests today? I mean, about the story of David and... Well... I just wanted you to meet the Tub Brothers because they're such nice guys. Plus, they have an amazing story about how they got their names. Fellas? My name is Go to remind us to go to God with needs and prayers. My name is Light because the light of God, the gospel, truly shares. 
My name is Bath because Jesus cleanses us from sin. And together he can use us to change the hearts of men. So, go to God. Share the light. Baptize in God's name. Then the world won't be the same. So, Just Steel Jerry, isn't that just beautiful? Well, yes, sort of. But I thought they were named after Goliath. Don't be silly. What kind of names are lie and ath for kids? That's just weird. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. He just doesn't get it. Are you fellows going to listen to the show? Is Just Still Jerry on all of the time? Yes, but he does come up with some pretty good rhymes sometimes. Okay, we'll start listening. At least you don't have any problems with names. What? No trouble with names. Right now, I think we'll get on that clog in case Just Still Jerry here clears his drain. But Just Still Jerry is a really odd name. It'd be easier just to call him Jerry. Uh, yes! Yes, exactly! That's what I've been saying! R.D., did you get that? Did you get that, R.D.? You okay, Just Steel Jerry? Oh, maybe you didn't get that. You look a little defeated. Man, I'm starting to understand how the Philistines felt. Oh, and my name I is... I told you that we should have sent Hot and Wash to do this job! Hold it. They have a brother named Hot... And one named Wash? Hot Tub and Wash Tub? Really? Hot Tub and Wash Tub. Makes perfect sense to me. It would. Well, that's it from Just Steel Jerry. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea plumbing crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're We're not famous, famous, but our our boss boss is. Yikes! That's quite a bit of hubbub over the tub, brothers. But it does raise an interesting point. Goliath wasn't the only member of his family mentioned in the Bible, was he? No. The Bible mentions that Goliath had a brother who was killed by one of David's soldiers named Elhanan. The Bible also mentions that Goliath had at least three sons. Two of Goliath's sons are named in the Bible. One is called Ishbi Binab, and the other is called Saph. There's a third son of Goliath that's mentioned in the Bible, but his name is not expressly given in the Bible. Now, some Bible researchers have named this third son Exactodaculus because in the Bible, this third son is recorded as having an abnormal number of fingers and toes. All of Goliath's relatives in the Bible were said to be very large men, potentially giants, although their exact size isn't specified the way it is with Goliath. So whatever condition had made Goliath so big was probably hereditary, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Well, I think that fact that the Bible contains as a record not just of Goliath, but also of Goliath's relatives, his brother and three sons, I think that all of this helps us understand that when the Bible recorded the story of David and Goliath, it was recording real history. Because when you examine the entirety of Scripture, you see that it contains numerous incidental details that wouldn't really be necessary if someone just wanted to concoct what was, in effect, a pious fraud. If somebody just wanted to write an allegorical or fictional account of how a small Hebrew boy defeated an invading enemy giant, then it wouldn't be necessary for them to embellish that with all of these subsequent details. But the Bible contains those details even details about Goliath, who was certainly not a hero of Israel. 
You have also noted that modern science has shed even more light on the details of the encounter. I mean, we covered the fact that the History Channel empirically tested the possibility that a stone slung from a leather sling of the type David used could actually kill a man. And the demonstration proved that that was possible. And you have said that modern medicine confirms that a pituitary gland problem could have resulted in both his large size and his vulnerability to David. Yes. It is well known that a benign tumor in the pituitary gland can result in abnormal growth or gigantism. But it's interesting that that same tumor that might have produced Goliath's huge size might also have pressed on the point in his brain where the optic nerves cross. So if that same tumor pressed on that point where the optic nerves crossed in Goliath's brain, basically it would have affected Goliath's lateral vision. In other words, it would have made it difficult for Goliath to see very much off to his sides. So he would have had limited lateral vision. As a consequence of that, that same pituitary gland tumor might have made it very difficult for Goliath to see the stone that David was slinging that was basically headed for his forehead. Ironically or providentially enough, the same medical anomaly that made Goliath so big also made him vulnerable. Now, David, of course, wouldn't have known all that, but providentially, God gave David the exact tool that David needed to bring down a man, even one as big as Goliath. Well, all that makes sense. And some causes of tumors in the pituitary gland are known to be hereditary, right? So that would explain not only why Goliath was a giant, but also why his brothers and sons were so large. And it might also explain why they could be defeated in combat. Large size makes them formidable, but impaired eyesight would have made them vulnerable. Exactly. And I think that all this goes to demonstrate the credibility of the Bible's narratives. But beyond just the fact that the medical facts and the military facts and the historical facts go to illustrate the credibility of the Bible's narrative, I think that another example of the Bible's credibility is found in the fact that the Bible didn't just record David's triumphs, it also recorded what you might call his tragedies. I think it's further evidence of the Bible's reliability, its veracity, if you will, is that when the Bible tells the story of its heroes, it doesn't just tell the stories of the hero's successes, it also records those same hero's failures. And that feature, frankly, makes the Bible quite different from the records that many of the other ancient societies produced about their kings, emperors, or famous warriors. The Bible does not try to disguise the very human failures and flaws of the people who were its central characters. And all of the major people in the Bible had at least one major example of failure, except, of course, for Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons that we opened our episode today with some other scriptures from David's life, because we wanted to go over one of the major failures in David's life. Not only one of his best-known failures, but also one of his most dramatic failures. You're talking about David's affair with Bathsheba. And again, you say that the details of the account are important, not just to Bible history, but also for us today. Do you want to amplify a little bit about what you're thinking? Well, most people know the more salacious parts of the story about David and Bathsheba. Very briefly, David had an affair with Bathsheba, who was married to one of David's soldiers who was named Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba got pregnant by the encounter with David, and of course that would have created a scandal even in those days. David tried to avoid this scandal, and I won't go through all those details, 
But as part of trying to stave off the scandal, David ultimately ordered Joab, his army commander, to deliberately expose Uriah to unnecessary danger in combat, and that resulted in Uriah being killed on the battlefield. But as bad as all that sounds, when you think about it, the story is actually even much worse. And I think that understanding the other parts of the story, this is where the unity and the entirety of Scripture play such a vital role in providing us with, oddly enough, encouragement today. So just to amplify a little bit more about the story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, Uriah is listed as being among David's mighty 30 warriors, the mighty 30. Those the mighty 30 were David's inner circle. We could think of them as being David's royal guard. So when you start contemplating the fact that the woman with whom he had an affair, Bathsheba, wasn't just the wife of one of David's soldiers, but actually the wife of one of David's most trusted soldiers, one of his royal guard, I think that's where the enormity of David's sin really starts to come out in full relief. And so I think in order to understand, again, the enormity of the sin, it's a good idea to look and see where that particular sin began. You mean on the rooftop of David's palace? He looks over the parapet and sees a woman bathing. That means Uriah and Bathsheba's house isn't too far away from the royal residence. Precisely. As bad as it was, when David had an affair with Bathsheba, it wasn't just a random woman that he came across in a marketplace somewhere. It wasn't just somebody that he happened to see in passing or whatever. And David knew that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife because when David saw her bathing, it says he asked his servants who the woman was. And his servants told him that Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, and David certainly knew that Uriah was one of his royal guard. Now, in those days, the relationship between the king and his guard would have been different than it would be today. In other words, Uriah may or may not have been a good friend to David as the king, but David certainly knew that Uriah was a distinguished warrior, and he knew that Uriah was a loyal and powerful warrior. I mean, if Uriah hadn't been such a loyal and faithful and frankly effective warrior, why would David have included him among his royal guard? So when David betrayed Uriah by the affair and later by getting him killed, he was demonstrating a level of callousness that went way beyond even just the fact of the adultery and the murder. It went way beyond the fact that David slept with a married woman. David knew Uriah. David knew that Uriah had served him faithfully and well. Uriah deserved rewards and honor. He deserved praise and David's thanks and commendations. The last thing that Uriah deserved was betrayal and misuse by his king. That is a terribly sobering thought. If someone, who was as strong in the Lord as David was, he had killed Goliath, evaded Saul, and became a king who was subduing Israel's enemies on every side, If someone like that can fall to the depths he did, all of us have to be very careful every day. Absolutely. Every day before we leave the house, we need to put on, as Ephesians 6 puts it, the full armor of God. Now, of course, if David weren't the servant of such a holy God, David might have gotten away with his perfidy. Now, that's a word you don't hear every day. Perfidy. I like it. And unfortunately, it fits David exactly because perfidy means deceitfulness and untrustworthiness. And that's what David had displayed. But despite the fact that he had displayed that perfidy, 
God was not going to let David get away with it. So God sent a prophet named Nathan to confront David. Now, Nathan displayed a whole lot of courage for himself because to go and be God's chosen instrument to confront the king, David, to go and do that, that was a fairly courageous act on Nathan's part, too, because David, as the king, could easily have reacted badly to Nathan's confrontation and even could have had Nathan killed. But Nathan was a faithful prophet to God, and he went and brought God's message, as difficult as it was, to David. Nathan confronted David over the sin with Bathsheba. Now, of course, it's at this moment, which is certainly one of the very worst moments of David's life, when his perfidy is on full display, when his perfidy is at its height, this is how we can see that God, despite David's failings, called David a man after God's own heart. Because to his credit, David did not react badly when Nathan confronted him. David immediately understood that God had sent Nathan to deliver the rebuke. And David accepted the rebuke from Nathan because he knew it was a rebuke from God. And again, to David's credit, rather than trying to cover up his crimes and sins at that point and run away from God, David turned around and ran toward God. And that's why we use the King James Version of Psalm 51 today, right? Because the King James Version contains the parenthetical introductory note that Psalm 51 was composed after Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. Exactly. Psalm 51 is the model psalm or prayer for how we are to express repentance when we have sinned and fallen short, which of course we all do. Psalm 51 may be the most profound expression of contrition in the entire Bible, and it certainly contains some of the sentiments that I think all thoughtful Christians would agree with. I mean, David asks God, begs God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of guilt from me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, who among us hasn't felt the need to ask God for that kind of mercy? I think most believers feel that there are times when we have all done things that we regret so deeply that we're afraid that God will no longer want to call us his children. And David expresses those sentiments so well. But while expressing those sentiments... David also offers some of the most comforting words in the entire Bible. He says to God, You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. I like that. David knows that he messed up royally. No pun intended. But despite his mess up, David has the confidence that God won't reject him if he's truly repentant. What a great thought and lesson for us today. It is a great thought and lesson. But as a moral lesson and example, it would lose a lot of its power, maybe almost all of its power, if David wasn't a real person. If David was just the subject of a series of pious fictional stories, how could we relate to the same emotions that he was feeling? I mean, I know that stories, I mean, I write fiction. I know that stories, even fictional ones, have the power to create emotion and to motivate us. But for me, and I think that for most people, We're far more encouraged by the stories of real people who have had to overcome real difficulties. In other words, if David wasn't a real person who really fought a real giant and later really had an adulterous relationship, his story might be interesting, but it wouldn't have the same power as when we know his story was real. Precisely. 
Today, a lot of us are engaged in fighting our own giants. Maybe giants related to not having enough money or fighting cancer or another major illness or health challenge. Might be struggling with rebellious teenagers or difficult bosses, relationship struggles. Whatever that giant may be, today, a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us have some kind of giant that we're fighting. Part of the reason that David's story is so encouraging to us is because we know that the same God who was by David's side in the Valley of Elah when he confronted Goliath 3,000 years ago, we know that that same God is still with us in our own valleys today. And we know that unlike us, God doesn't decline with age. God is every bit as powerful as he was when he guided David's arm to sling the stone. And we know that God is just as merciful today as when he heard David's prayer of repentance. While God may not say to each of us that we are people after his own heart, like he did for David, we know that if we imitate David's attitudes, we can still expect God to help us slay our own giants. Yes, the Bible can still help us today precisely because it is the Word of God. And as the Word of God, the Bible is uniquely powerful to inspire us, to encourage us, to comfort us, and to sustain us in our own trials. But if we don't have the confidence that the Bible is the Word of God, if we don't know that for ourselves, no matter how much the Bible has helped other people, it won't help us. You know, one of the most important things that David said to Saul when he was getting ready to confront Goliath, and Saul tried to put his armor on David to help him, David said to Saul, I can't use your armor because I haven't tried it. What David was saying was he couldn't use Saul's armor because he wasn't used to Saul's armor. Saul's armor was unknown and strange to him. He didn't have any confidence in Saul's armor because he had never used Saul's armor before. But David had used his own sling. David had used his own weapons in the wilderness when he had defended his flock against the marauding bears and sheep. Well, in much the same way, David told Saul, I can't use your weapons because I'm not used to them. I haven't tried them. Well, we all have to use the Bible. We have to try the Bible enough that we can have the same confidence in it that David had in his sling. And if we'll do that, if we'll take the time to study the Bible, to understand the truth, the reliability, the veracity of the Bible, and if we come to understand the power of the Bible, we can have the same confidence in the Bible that David had in his sling. And look what David was able to do with basically a piece of leather and a rock. Sounds like a great time for a prayer. Since it's so important to be faithful stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us, today let's pray that we would all be faithful stewards. Prayer to be a faithful steward. Almighty, everlasting, and eternal Father, you are the rock, the only sure foundation on which we can build and hope to have our work survive. You alone can weave the twisted strands of our lives into a whole cloth that is suitable for your purposes. You alone are the sure and steady hand that preserves us from falling into the snares of the enemy and holds us up when we stumble. Lord, your word rightly tells us that the entire world and all it contains belong to you. 
It is so easy for us to forget this as we rush to and fro in our daily lives. As we go to our jobs, purchase items at the store, visit banks, and struggle with checkbooks and price tags, we easily forget that none of what passes through our hands truly belongs to us. You own it all, and no amount of striving or pulling can change this fact. Help us, Lord, to release what we cannot hold. Incline our hearts to you so that we treasure the blesser far more than the blessings. Our confidence is in him, and it is in his precious name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Next time on Anchored by Truth, we're going to begin another series. Even though we're moving on from this series, we want listeners to know that if they missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us then, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.